0: You'd open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we're working our way through the book of Colossians. And um, this portion of the Word of God might strike you as, oh, well, it doesn't apply to me. It's aimed at parents and children. But I would hope that you would open your heart to how it might apply to you. Uh, some of you are grandparents, as I am, and certainly we can. Um, Pray that our grandchildren will grow up to have Christian homes and that these things will apply. My prayer is that a lot of the older families, couples in the church who have raised children would take under wing some um, younger families and mentor, disciple them, help them, pray with them. Um, Some don't have uh, grandparents in town, and you can be a grandparent to the kids that are are here and if you're single this applies to your future perhaps even if you're um, a childless couple uh, it can apply I think as you disciple others and so uh, my prayer is that even though it's got a specific focus it will be applicable to all Uh, you should find an outline in your bulletin there are printed messages at both exits you can grab And uh, those are all on the church website as well, along with the audio messages. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing. Literally, it's in the Lord. Um, Fathers, do not exasperate or provoke your children so that they will not lose heart. As you know, there are many endangered species around the world uh, that are facing extinction without concerted efforts to preserve them. And uh, in our own area, we see in the news often about the California condor that seems to be making a comeback. Some of you have seen them up in Uh, North of us as I have and the Mexican gray wolf haven't seen one of those in the wild yet, and I'm not sure I care to but uh, They're making a comeback, but I would argue that the most uh, Endangered species on the planet is probably the Christian home Homes where moms and dads are committed to each other in biblical love homes where they're rearing their children to know and follow the Lord Those are increasingly rare. Uh, You would think there would be a campaign to preserve it, but I would argue that rather than a campaign to preserve the endangered Christian home, our culture is bent on eliminating it, making it extinct. Uh, Movies, TV, that sort of thing, they've redefined the family now to just mean any gathering of people, whatever sex that are living together, that's the new family. You know, I grew up with shows on TV like Leave It to Beaver and uh, Ozzie and Harriet where mom and dad were together raising their, their kids and yeah, the kids were a little rebellious at times but it all worked out. Uh, now those shows are kind of viewed as quaint old museum pieces that Everybody thinks, wow, did people really used to live like that? Uh, That's not the family that we see on TV today. And so, uh, I I believe that it is really important to preserve uh, this rare breed of the Christian home. And Paul shows us how in our text. Now, we have to understand the commands that he gives in the text that I read are built on the last two verses, Uh, verse 18 written to wives, verse 19 to husbands, because the relationship with parents that they have with each other is foundational to rearing a godly family. And um, when children see a husband and wife, a mom and dad in the kid's perspective, who love each other and uh, respect each other, who work out their differences in a Christian way, then there is the atmosphere in which the children can grow up to follow, love, and know the Lord. And so Paul is showing us here that a Christian home uh, should have obedient children and sensitive, encouraging parents. Now, the species is so rare that you may chuckle when you hear that phrase, obedient Children, you know, you say, isn't that an oxymoron? Uh, Are there such on the planet obedient children? I mean, (coughs) the Duke of Windsor he once remarked, The thing that impresses me most about America is the way that parents obey their children. And we live in a culture, I think, where it just sounds so crazy. Obedient children, really. We're, we're trying to raise assertive, confident, uh, expressive children who have good self-esteem. That just seems so contrary to obedient children. But, you know, it's not going to stifle their personality to aim at that. And so Paul says that a Christian home should have obedient children. Now, the Greek word that's used here for children can apply to... Uh, Virtually any age group, but I think by Paul addressing the children directly and uh, assuming that he's assuming they're old enough to understand, so they're not toddlers perhaps, and yet they're still under their parents' umbrella. As long as a young person is dependent on their parents for sustenance, living at home, they are Uh, in the category Paul is speaking to here. Now, of course, as a child ages, there should be increasing conversation, dialogue. If there's conflict or issues, they should talk about it with their parents. Um, But not until they're old enough to support themselves and be out on their own are they out from under their parents' authority. And even then... Uh, They should certainly respect and honor their parents. But implicit in the command also, parents, is that you are responsible to teach your children obedience. And um, the best time to do it is early on. Uh, Just as an aside, sometimes I've watched parents who let their kids run wild when they're little. Oh, aren't they cute? You know, and the kids are terrors. And then as they get older, there's a panic that sets in, and they start slapping the rules on, and it's too late. The time to teach them to be obedient is when they're young, and then you can let the rules off as they get older, and they assume more responsibility. Um, now, the questions come up, though. Well, what if the parents are not believers, or what if, as Christian parents, they're in the wrong, in what they command? Well, Paul says children... Obey your parents in all things, except, I would interject, when to obey them would mean disobeying God. Now, Paul here is assuming a Christian context when he says, in all things. Um, He doesn't mention exceptions. Children need to be careful about claiming exception, because the flesh always wants wants us to say, well... You know, my parents were wrong there, so I'm justified to disobey them. Well, not necessarily. Um, I think such exceptions in Christian homes ought to be rare. But I would just point out if you're a young person, if you're still living at home, you're going to have to resolve to be different to obey Paul's command. Sadly, sometimes even different than your Christian friends. But our culture encourages challenging authority. I've seen bumper stickers, question authority, and that's kind of the American way. Um, When you turn on the tube, parents are portrayed as dummies, and uh, kids, you know, know better. Uh, Father Knows Best was a show when I grew up. I don't think that one would fly these days unless it was a a satire. Um, And your friends will taunt you if you say to them, well, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, my parents don't let me. Huh? What's that have to do with it? You know, well, I obey my parents. Radical thought. Uh, so you, what I'm saying is you've got to commit to do this up front because it's not always easy. And God promises a blessing in Ephesians 6 to children who obey their parents. If you've noticed, by God's design, parents are always older and have more experience than children do. Um, Mark Twain once famously observed, he said, when I was 17, I was amazed at how stupid my father was. And then when I was 21, I was really surprised at how much the old man had learned in four years. And, you know, we all, I think, have had somewhat that experience. Now, you say, well, what if my parents are insensitive? What if they're unreasonable, what if you're a teenager and your parents treat you like you're five years old? Or what What if they're harsh and just overly strict? Well, I would just argue there you have a more difficult laboratory in which to learn obedience. It's tough in some situations, and I'm not justifying the parents, uh, but it's just harder in some homes than it is in others. But I believe that the parents' shortcomings do not give you an excuse to do an end run and do your own thing. Um, Case in point, Jesus. The only perfect child who has ever lived. And his parents were imperfect. And yet, the scripture says he submitted to them. He was obedient to his parents. Now... I need to bring up, though, a very unpleasant subject I wish I didn't have to say anything about, but I have read that this occurs in far more Christian homes than we would care to admit. I'm hoping this church is the extreme exception, but I'm talking about a problem of sexual abuse of children in homes. Uh, It happens in Christian homes, and statistics vary, um, but... I've read that as many as one-fourth of girls in our population at large, one-fifth of boys experience some sort of sexual abuse before they get to age 16. It's just a horrifying statistic. And when the abuser is a parent, and often it's a father-daughter kind of thing, the child usually just submits and keeps silent out of fear. Over 30 years ago, Christianity Today ran an article that mentioned a woman who had been sexually abused by her father an average of two times a week from the age of three until she was 13 when her mother discovered it and the family at that point disintegrated. The father was a Boy Scout leader. He was a choir member, and this was, they, the family went to a fundamentalist church, This woman founded an organization trying to help people who had suffered as she had, and she went to a Christian liberal arts campus and asked all 247 female students to reply to a survey. Of the 96 who responded, more than half said that they had been abused as children. Now... If you even grant that of those that didn't turn in the survey, none of them had been abused, which is probably optimistic, that would be about 20% of the students, the female students at this Christian liberal arts college. Most of them had grown up in Christian homes, and yet they had suffered sexual abuse in their childhood. And this woman says of her own experience I didn't like what he was doing, I felt it was wrong. But I feared him. I was taught to honor, trust, and obey my parents. And her father told her, just trust me, it's okay. And uh, that's how he continued in his sin. I just want to emphatically say to anyone here, it is never, ever okay. It is a horrible sin, and it's never okay. And if you're a child here this morning and you know that an adult is doing something wrong with you, you need to talk to some trusted adult, maybe one of the pastors or youth workers, and get some help because it needs to stop immediately. It's never okay. And uh, when Paul says here, obey your parents in all things, sin is not included. And you are being sinned against by your... Parent, if that is happening, and so please, please get help, and uh, don't mistake what Scripture is teaching here to include that kind of horrific thing. Um, but why should children obey then? If as long as parents aren't telling them to disobey God, why does Paul say they should obey? Well, he adds the reason that it's pleasing the Lord. It's pleasing in the Lord, which means if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then even if it's hard for you to obey your parents, you should do it because you're doing it as unto the Lord. It's pleasing in the Lord. And even sometimes, I know some of you may think, well, my parents are never pleased with me. Well, there's one who is, and that is the Lord. If you're obeying him, he is pleased with you, and When I say obey too, I hope you understand, I'm not saying, all right, I'll do it, you know, grudgingly obeying, but rather obeying your parents cheerfully. They might have a heart attack, but obey them cheerfully and even ask, is there, are there ways I can help around the house and uh, trying to serve your, your parents Uh, Once in a while, it would really be appreciated, I'm sure, if you told your parents how thankful you are for all that they're doing for you. And, you know, your mom for fixing the dinner, your dad for providing, or however it works. But just that kind of an attitude, and I think you can see that's radically countercultural. That just doesn't happen in many homes, but it is pleasing in the Lord. Now, I want to address a common Christian myth. Even in Christian circles, it's often thought, well, it's normal for teenagers to rebel. Uh, It's just sort of a normal thing, even a healthy thing. I've had Christian parents say, yeah, yeah, my teenager, he's rebellious, you know, he's sassy, disrespectful, disobedient, and then they always add, but we all have to go through that, don't we? No, we don't. We don't have to go through that. I didn't ever rebel against my parents. Now I did a lot of stupid and sinful things as a teenager that I wish I hadn't done, but I wasn't doing them out of defiance against my parents. Um, and I just—I never wanted to hurt my parents. My parents loved me. They—they they gave me a lot of freedom. Um, And I thought, you know, if I ever came home drunk or if I ever got a girl pregnant, it would just devastate my parents. And I didn't want to do that because I knew my parents loved and cared for me. And so you don't have to rebel. Um, At that point now, I wasn't focused on pleasing the Lord, as the text says. Uh, But that should be your focus as a teenager. You know the Lord. You want to please him. You also want to please your parents. And so you submit to them. You obey them. Now, Paul doesn't just, though, address the children. He also directs attention to the parents, especially to the fathers. And when Paul says fathers, that word in Greek can be used to mean fathers and mothers. But I think here he especially is focusing on the father as the uh, one responsible to God for the family. And in that culture, you have to understand, fathers had absolute authority over their families. They could kill their children, and they would not be prosecuted. So it was a very authoritarian structure. And you would think, going along with the culture, Paul would have said, Fathers, make sure your children obey you at all times. And instead, he gives again to the parents a radically countercultural command. He says a Christian home should have sensitive and encouraging parents. Um, Think about if you were Paul and you got one sentence to tell a bunch of people who are from pagan backgrounds, here's what you need to know about child rearing. What would you say? Well, Paul says this, verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they may not lose heart. I think maybe Paul knew that fathers in that culture tended to be overly harsh. And you know, as Christian dads, it's easy because you want your kids to look good, right? You, you know, you don't want them acting up at church or making a bad name for the family or whatever. So you can come down on them and be harsh. And Paul says, no, fathers don't exasperate your children. Don't make them lose heart. So first of all, just note that Christian parents should not exasperate, and the word means to provoke their children so that they become discouraged. Um, The NIV, or the uh, ESV, and the New King James translate provoke. It can mean to stir up someone, either in a good sense or a bad sense, often to anger or to a fight, But it's only used one other time in the New Testament, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9-2, where Paul says that the Corinthians' example of giving had stirred up other Christians to give as well. So there it's a a positive example. But the idea is it motivates someone to action, whether to good deeds or, uh, in this case, um, you're discouraging them or maybe provoking them to anger, that sort of thing. Fathers are not supposed to do that. You know, as you think about it, there are many, many ways as fathers that we can provoke our children to anger or rebellion or discouragement, and I listed some of those in the outline there. Uh, One is unpredictability, where a a kid never knows whether he's really going to have a major blow up over a minor thing or maybe a major thing that's just going to go by with no consequence. There's inconsistency, unpredictability. Another is unreasonableness where a parent just won't listen to a child's point of view um, and just passes judgment and says, I'm the boss, you shut up and this is the way it's going to be, that kind of thing. Uh, Another is unfairness where a parent gives Again, harsh treatment for a minor infraction or, um, you know, that kind of, uh, just, it's not fair. Another is favoritism, where perhaps one child in the family gets away with murder and the other child is treated sternly for a similar offense. Another is selfishness. A lot of parents use their kids to gratify themselves or to, Fulfill their own needs, and they don't think about the child's needs. Another way to provoke your children is either over or under discipline, um, not having a balance. Another is criticism without praise, where a parent uh, rarely praises a child when he does well and often criticizes his faults. Another is insensitivity, where a parent won't listen Or a parent maybe minimizes a child, something's really important to him, and the parent, oh, come on, it's no big deal, and they just blow it off and the child feels um, hurt. Another is unavailability, where a parent is absent or too busy when a child needs him. A really um, bad one is when we break promises because we teach our children they can't trust us. Uh, another is hypocrisy. This is a danger in Christian homes where they see us putting on a front at church and then we go home and they see somebody very different because we're not living consistently. Another is legalism where a parent is laying down the law on petty issues and you know putting weight on keeping the rules but you're not training your children to relate to God and to love God from the heart, that kind of thing. Uh, You could mention a lot more, I'm sure, but those are just some common ways that we exasperate or provoke our children so that they either become discouraged or disobedient. And all I can say, and we've all been guilty of some, if not all of those at some time or another, is when you're aware that you've wronged your child, have the humility to go and ask forgiveness. Just say I was really wrong when I said this, did this, whatever the issue was, and ask them to forgive, and then they will see that you're not perfect, but you are seeking to walk with God, and they can emulate your example now if you go we could go through that list and cover all the opposites and talk about them uh, i 'm not going to do that, but if you go through the list, just glance at it quickly again you'll realize. The Heavenly Father does not relate to us in any of those ways. And I'm going to sum up for you in a single sentence all you need to know about child rearing. Okay? One sentence. I have a whole sermon on this besides this one. But uh, the overall principle for child rearing is this. I must relate to my children as the Heavenly Father relates to me as his child. That really covers everything, doesn't it? I relate to my children as the Heavenly Father relates to me. And uh, I just want to go through four aspects of that with you. First of all, it means that I must accept the responsibility to father my children. Or to put it another way, God is not an absent or passive father toward us. Um, As our Heavenly Father. God takes the initiative to establish a relationship. He corrects us when we need it. He shows us his love when we need it. Um, God is an active God. We wouldn't be Christians if he weren't. And so he entrusted us uh, with our children for just a brief window and I know it seems like an eternity when you're in the trenches, but let me say to you parents, it goes by so quickly. And uh, I see parents with little ones on their shoulder, and I just think, oh, shoot, those years went by too fast. But um, just for a short while, and as fathers especially, we're accountable to love our kids as God loves us, to train them in his ways, both by our example and our precept. Now, here's the hard thing, speaking to men. The time when your kids really need you is usually the same time when your career is asking you to give maximum. You know, you're maybe starting out in your career, and uh, they want you to travel. They want you to put in long days at the office to take work home at night. And, you know, it's easy to rationalize and think, well, I'll give my kids quality time. I believe there's no such thing as quality time apart from quantity time. You have to spend time with your kids. And kids invariably interpret an absent father as rejection. Now, from your perspective, you may think, well, I'm out there earning a living for them so they can have what they need. Yeah, that's your perspective. Their perspective is, dad's always gone. He must not love me. You must not care for me. I, one of the saddest books you can ever read is a book called Days of Glory, Seasons of Night, written by a woman named merrily Pierce Dunker. She's the daughter of a man named Bob Pierce. Some of you know that name. He was the founder of World Vision. And uh, he traveled the world evangelizing holding crusades over in Asia with thousands of people coming Korea China various places but he did that virtually abandoning his family Uh, she says in the book that for 15 years he was gone on the average 10 months out of the year he would come home and not even unpack his suitcase he would just come home take the family to Disneyland or somewhere Uh, spend quality time with them, and he was off again, jet-setting to the world. In one of the most tragic statements in the book, he said this, I've made an agreement with God that I'll take care of his helpless little lambs overseas if he'll take care of mine at home. It was a bad agreement. His oldest daughter committed suicide. He and his wife eventually divorced. Um... He had an angry temper, and he eventually got um, dismissed from World Vision by his board. The daughter who wrote the book worked through her agonizing struggles emotionally, went over to Labrie, and that helped her a lot. But, you know, I, I just contend this. I don't care how impressive your ministry is. And I don't care how successful your career is. If God gave you kids, that's your responsibility to be a father to your kids. And you need to spend the time with them and uh, make them a priority while you can. A second part of this relating to our kids as God relates to us is I need to make grace and love and not discipline my main emphasis with my children. And I'm trying to correct what I see as an imbalance here. Most Christian books on child rearing are on discipline. And certainly kids need discipline and correction. I'm not denying that. But that shouldn't be our main motive, our main way of relating to our kids. Discipline is only effective when it's, in the context of love that is felt. And I remember when I was a young father, my own dad said to me, you don't have the right to discipline your kids unless you spend time playing with them. That's the context. You, you play with them, you show them your love, and then when they need correction, it's going to be more received. You know, when you think about how does God mainly relate to us, Grace and love are all through the Bible. Grace and love. Remember when Moses, up on the mound, he said, God, I want you to show me your glory. I want to see what you're really like. And it's an amazing time. And God appears on the scene. And here's what he says to Moses. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord God. Stern and disciplining with rules coming out your ears. No, is that what he says? Uh uh-uh. uh. I love this. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Every father ought to put your name in there and say, Is that me? <laughs> is that how I relate to my kids with compassion and grace? And slow to anger. And that they would just say, yeah, dad's just abounding in loving kindness and truth. That should be the way we seek to relate to our children. Now, yeah, they need correction and discipline. But even here, I've seen dads that don't discern the difference between rebellion or defiance and childishness. And you need to make that judgment call. You know, if a a kid is in your face defiant, then they need strong correction to learn you don't defy me or your mother. And I I would argue parents should never allow a child to hit you or to hit their mother or throw a temper tantrum and not be sternly corrected. But a lot of kids are just being kids. You know, a three-year-old acts like a three-year-old. And what do you do? Well, you help them grow up, and maybe eventually they'll be 10 and act like a 10-year-old, and finally, you know, they grow up to adulthood, so you work with them. So discern between the two. But what I'm saying is when you have to give correction, do it in the spirit of love and grace. A third thing, I not only should love my children, but I should like them, or I could have used the word enjoy them. I really need to to like my kids. Love is primarily a commitment to seek my kids' highest good. Liking, though, is a feeling word. Enjoying is a feeling word. And I believe that this not-provoking, not-losing heart, those are emotional words. And uh, so a sensitive, encouraging father needs to understand and be in tune with their children's feelings, I'm going to make a a radical statement here that might shock you. But with kids, especially with young children, it's far more important that they feel loved and liked and accepted and appreciated than that they get sound doctrine. Now, that's kind of radical, isn't it? You know how much I put a premium on sound doctrine. So I'm not saying don't teach them the truth, but I'm saying this. I've seen homes where the kids get a strong dose of doctrine, but it's done harshly, and they don't feel loved. And I'm saying it is far more important for kids to feel loved, and they'll grow up to embrace your doctrine. And that's true for Sunday school teachers, too, by the way. Sure, I want truth taught up there, but I want our kids to feel loved in Sunday school. You know, I just want them to say, that's the greatest place on earth. I just love being there because I feel loved and accepted. And I want us all as a church to do that with our kids. When you see them in the hallway, maybe they're being a bit rambunctious, but don't go chew them out or they're going to say, oh, man, what a drag church is. You know, go and put your arm around them and calm them down and just tell them, you know, how much you appreciate them and glad that they're here. And they'll grow up to follow the Lord better than if we are stern in our mannerism. Um, and you know, whenever my kids, sometimes they interrupt you. Maybe you're having your quiet time. And they come bounding up, Daddy! You don't say, you know, I'm having my quiet time. Get out of here. And you just taught them, boy, I sure don't want one of those. You know, you just set your Bible down and you say, hi. Boy, well, it's good to see you. It's great to see you, and you minister to them personally. Now, there are a lot of ways to do that, but let me share with you three very practical ways you can do this. Number one is warm eye contact, just showing them by your eyes. I love you. I like you. I'm glad you're with me, and uh, I, I am so happy that you are my child. Your eyes tell them that, you know, and you can glare at your kid. And he's going to feel it. Or you can warmly accept him with your eyes, and they'll feel that. Secondly, appropriate touch. You know, just a hand on the shoulder, a hug, a pat on the knee. Uh, When your kids are little, rustle with them on the floor and play with them, and then tuck them into bed with a kiss and a prayer. Uh, That's really important. And then thirdly, as I've already said, spend time with them. Uh, just have them with you all the time. you go going to the store, hey, come on along. You know, hanging out with your children in everyday kind of situations. And do fun things as as a family when you have a day off. And I really think it's important to take an annual family vacation. And we always camped. Um, Gary Smalley has a, a hilarious story. I don't have time to tell it about his first camping experience. But... One time, when he was doing family seminars, he said, "How many of you grew up in a happy family how many What did your family do and he said, invariably, they all camped, so he tried it, and it was a major disaster but um, you know uh, camping is is one thing one thing I did, and i didn 't do it every year, but I did it a few years with each of my children right around the time of their birthday." I would just take that one child and do an overnight, one-night, 24-hour camp out, father and daughter or son. And uh, sometimes we couldn't do an overnight, so we'd just do an all-day Saturday thing where we'd go do something fun together. And they remember that. And when we'd moved here, my middle daughter, Joy, she turned 16, and she said to me, Dad, do you remember how when we were little you used to do on a camp out or an all-day thing with us on our birthday? And I said, yeah, I sure do, Joy. And uh, she said, do you think for my birthday we could go down to Sedona and do a short hike and then go look through some of the art galleries? And I just said, yeah, I think we can work that out, Joy. I would love to do that with you. And so we had a a wonderful day together, just father-daughter doing that. And, you know, it meant so much to me that my 16-year-old wanted to spend a day just with her dad. And it's really important to spend time with your kids. And then finally, I think motivation is key. You have to motivate your children to be all that God wants them to be. And the Greek word here, lose heart, it's the opposite of motivation. You're motivating them negatively. You're demotivating them. It's the opposite of take courage or be eager. And, you know, every kid is different. They all come factory-wired. That was one revelation to me as a parent. When I had our second, I realized she's not the same as the first. You know, same gender, uh, but she's different. And each child is wired, prepackaged, wired differently with their own motivational uh, patterns. And so as as a dad, your job is know your child. Know what motivates that particular child. And what you want to motivate them towards is... To be all that God wants them to be. Uh, Now one thing will demotivate your child. And that is. Let them know that you're never pleased with them. They bring home all A's and one B. And you say. Let's see if we can get that B up next semester. That kind of thing. No. We should really let them know. I'm pleased with you. Remember that statement the father made of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we should let our kids know when they're doing something well, well, wow, that was great. You know, the way you, you didn't talk back to your mother there. The way you helped out. I really appreciated that you didn't fight with your brother when you could have. Those kind of encouraging things to motivate. And the goal, again, is... I want my child to be all that God wants him to be, not all that I may want him to be. A lot of Christian parents impose on their kids their plan for the kid's life to make the parent look good, you know, and that's not right. Figure out how your kid is wired and encourage them then to be all that uh, God wants them to be. At home somewhere in a old box. I still have my Bible that my parents gave me when I was eight years old, and they inscribed in the fly leaf, you know, our desire is that you would be all that God wants you to be. And uh, that's that's our goal for our kids. So if they follow the Lord, doesn't matter what they do as a career. Now, we're never guaranteed. We can do everything pretty much right as parents, even though none of us are perfect, and our kids may not turn out the way that we would hope for. But I think even if they stray from the Lord, it's going to be our constant love coupled with godly discipline that's reflecting again the Father, the Heavenly Father. He loves us. In love, He disciplines us. That's what's going to bring them back. Um, One time when I was a young father, I heard a man, he's with the Lord now, named Joe Bailey. And he was a compassionate loving servant of the Lord. Back during the radical times of the 70s, one of his sons rebelled against the Lord. He quit going to church. He was causing all kinds of disruption at home. And finally, painfully, but in love, Bailey had to ask him to leave their home. Uh, Late one night after that happened, Bailey got a malicious, and it proved to be untrue, phone call saying, your son is at the police station. And this was in Chicago, and there were a lot of police precincts, so he went around to every police station he could find, trying to look for his son, couldn't find him. Finally, at 3 in the morning, he thought, well, I'll go over to the house where he lives. And so he went over there, and the door was always unlocked. He went in, and there was his son asleep. He woke him up. He told him why he was there. He kissed him. He said, I love you. And he left. That son is now a faithful pastor and has been for many, many years, and he says that what turned him around was his father's love coupled with uh, his, his tenderness, but also that painful decision when he asked him to leave the family because of his being disruptive. And I, I emailed him this week. He's got a book coming out. His name's Tim Bailey. He's um, in Bloomington, Indiana. And he wrote this in the book. He said, To this day, dad's discipline and love stick in my mind as I carry my responsibilities as a husband, father, and pastor. And so children, obey your parents. And parents, relate to your children as God relates to you. He does that with sensitivity and with encouragement. And in doing so, we'll help preserve a vital, endangered species, the Christian home. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and uh, you've not met Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, nothing I've said really is going to relate or connect. It's important that you personally come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. The Bible says we've all rebelled against our Heavenly Father. We've all gone our own way. And he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who died on the cross. And he offers a full pardon for all our sins because Jesus bore the punishment on the cross that all of us deserve. If we believe in him, he imputes Christ's righteousness to us and our sin to Christ, and that's called grace, and he offers grace to every sinner. Dear Father, I pray that if any are here apart from Jesus, they would see your great love, that they would come to him and know you as their loving and gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I know that there are a lot of fathers and mothers here who have a lot of guilt because of failure, Lord, we've all failed. I pray they would be encouraged with your forgiveness, that if they need to make amends with their children, they would do so, that you would give us all the grace and strength to reflect your love and Your discipline also to our children in a way that they would feel your love through us. And I pray, Lord, that our homes would be examples in our community of the love of Christ in every neighborhood. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude by taking an offering, and if you're a visitor with us, uh, we don't expect you to give. We actually have a little gift bag that's through these doors on the right. There's a basket there with some of these bags in them with a CD and some postcard and some info about the church, and you're free to grab one on your way out. If you would be kind enough to fill out the welcome card that's in the chair rack, Um, with your contact info, we'll send you a letter if you're a local or a postcard, if you're out of town, and um, just a way of saying, welcome, glad to have you. If you're a regular and you have a prayer need, you can write it on there. If Linda doesn't have your name in our directory and your photo, we'd love to get that, so we can pray for you and have you there so you can fill it out, drop it in the offering plate. Uh, We're going to stand and sing a song that I think is appropriate after talking about being a father. Lord, I need you. (laughs) Every hour, I need the Lord in that job.
1: guides my heart. song to rise to You. When temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand up on You, Jesus, You're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand up You, Jesus, You're. My hope and
0: and be glad to pray with you about any personal needs and uh, there's refreshments